We're starting a brand new series called The Early Church, and we're going to work through the book of Acts together. We're going to take it bit by bit and journey through the book of Acts. And here's why. Because anytime we start a new series, you might be wondering, well, why are we doing this? Here's why we're doing it. Because we look at the early church and we see such beauty and impact. The early church, the church that Jesus came to start, it moved from being this ragtag group of messy and definitely in process Christians to instead then moving into this place where it initiated a movement that changed the world. And I want us to rediscover the kind of church that Jesus initiated and left. It's interesting that early Christians weren't even called Christians. That's language that we picked up later. They were called followers of the way. And if you were, if you've been around us for any length of time, you'd hear that language, followers of the way, followers of the way of Jesus, and it's beautiful to me. And I think especially in a culture that has all sorts of cultural baggage to Christian, followers of the way has some beauty to it. Because we don't just follow something, we follow a way of life. And this early church changed the world. We're here in Canada 2,000 years later because of it. Tim Keller, when he's talking about the early church, he shares that the early church was seen as too exclusive too narrow, and a threat to the social order of the time. And yet, this church that was reviled by some and seen as offensive by others was also attractive to many because they represented a counterculture, an alternative community to what they saw around them. And we can be the same. This is the invitation for us, certainly as collective church, but as the church in Canada as a whole. And it's part of my prayer for us as we go through this series that maybe, just maybe, we catch a glimpse of what this could be, of what Jesus died for, of the kind of church that he initiated and started and left, that we might catch a glimpse and think this is for us today, and maybe, just maybe, we can live differently. It's my hope that as we discover the beauty of the early church, that it ignites our imagination and mind for a vision of what God might want to do. So, let's begin. Turn in your Bibles to Acts 1. If you have the app on your phone, do not feel any shame. You can open it up if you want to track along. And if you're not sure, if you have a physical Bible and you're going, where do I start? It's in the New Testament. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then the book of Acts. Start in Acts 1. And before we dig in, let's pray. God, I pray that in these moments that you would be the one that speaks to us, that it wouldn't just be about my ideas and my words, but instead, Holy Spirit, come. God, we need you. I need you. And I think about the beauty of your early church, and I want to rediscover all that you have for us. God, help us to become laser-focused in doing what you ask us to do. And for all the noise that we have, all the things that are trying to get our attention, even right now, even if we got our phones and we started getting notifications or we just read an email that distracted us or a text that discouraged us, God, in the midst of all that, we bring it to you and we lean in close to hear your whisper. God, would you speak to us? We love you. We need you. We trust you. God, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Starting in Acts 1, I'll, I'll read 1 to 5, and then we'll work through a, a chunk of it. Acts 1. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach, until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles, and he appeared to the apostles from time to time. And he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, it's important as we look at the book of Acts that we understand how it fits into Scripture. As we look even at the New Testament, how does it fit? Acts is written by Luke, who also wrote the book Luke. And so Luke and Acts are meant to be almost like opposite sides of the same coin. It's important for us to recognize that we actually read it together, two books that represent one narrative, and, and he even mentions, Luke even mentions that the purpose of his first book, Gospel of Luke, shared everything that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. But all of this was after what we find is that he was giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. So before he ascended to heaven, he's giving his apostles further instruction. And we find something in verse 3 that is incredibly beautiful. It says, During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Now, it's interesting to me that Jesus spent 40 days with his disciples, and yet we don't have it like a play-by-play. We don't know all that he said in those 40 days, all the things that he did. We, we don't have all of the information. And if, if you're like me, there's a huge part of me that would like it all. Like, I want to know, what specifically did you do for 40 days? Help me to reduce it to some sort of a formula where I can, I can understand what specifically did you say because you churn these people from messy to on fire. What did you do? Because I just, I want to do that. But instead, we don't find that. Instead, we find just the description of the meantime. What is that that keeps ringing? The Holy Spirit. Yeah. I'm like, I can hear. It's like, it sounds like bells or something. If I need to use a handheld mic, just let me know. And, and so it's, it's so interesting for us to look at this time and to remember that, that there is power in the meantime, that there's power in obscurity, there's power in the unseen, in these moments between the now and the not yet. And I want to remind you that this, in fact, is where Jesus does his best work, in obscurity, in the unseen, where you don't have all of your life on display. He's quietly working in your life to do more in you so that he can do things through you in between who we are and who we will become. And as someone, I can just share with you that it's really difficult for me in those moments because I can see it. I can see where God wants to go and then I wonder, what are you doing right now? And it's often in those moments he does his deepest and most significant work. 
And so if you're in the room and you're in one of those seasons where it just feels like you're in the meantime, you're in the wilderness, you're in the in-between, you're in that 40-day period where you're going, what is this supposed to be? Can I just tell you, don't rush it. Don't avoid it. Don't try to get out of it. Instead, let Jesus do his work through you. Jesus had raised from the dead, but before he left, he had work to do in his people, in his followers. And in verse 3, he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. So he didn't just instruct them. It wasn't like an information dump where Jesus went, here are the 17 things that you need to know. He also proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. This group of people who had become catalysts of a movement that would echo through time, they had to be sure of Jesus' resurrection. They had to know that he, in fact, rose from the dead. And he, he proved it to them. He proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And then he did something that we find him doing often through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He talked about the kingdom of God. And if we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we'll see this pattern of Jesus talking about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. He does this a lot, way more than we think. And the more that we tune our minds to see it, the more that we realize this was the central message of Jesus's ministry. And if it's the central message of Jesus' ministry, it ought to be a focus in our lives. Now, the kingdom of God refers to the rule of, and reign of God here on earth and in heaven, life as it should be. And Jesus spent time talking about the kingdom of God, spent a lot of it. And even in those 40 days as he's spending time with his disciples, he's talking about the kingdom of God, but that was not all that he did. It says in verse 4 that once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now Jesus is reminding his followers who have been through a fairly traumatic season that God's going to send them a gift. He reminds them that he's going to send them the Holy Spirit. And he commands them, don't leave where you are. Don't, don't rush to the next thing without experiencing and receiving the gift that God has intended you to have. This gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit, also inaugurated this kingdom of God. And so this kingdom of God that Jesus is speaking about, the Holy Spirit comes to represent, in some ways, an end to Jesus' earthly ministry and yet a beginning to his eternal ministry. The kingdom of God and the, and the movement of the Holy Spirit as he came, those are both incredibly interconnected. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says that it's better that he goes so that we might receive the advocate. I was talking to Ava and our seven-year-old daughter, and she's like, I just, I just wish Jesus was right here with us. 
I'm like, I'm with you. There are moments that I'm like, it'd be nice to look at him and talk face to face. And I would imagine that for his disciples that had spent three plus years with him, that they were thinking the same. And yet he reminds them, no, it's better that I go so that you have the Holy Spirit, the advocate, this gift with you in every single moment of every single day. And Acts 1 mentions in verse 5 that John baptized with water. But in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so even in this verse, we find two different kinds of baptisms. We find water baptism and Holy Spirit baptism. And for some of us, we experience both at the same time. When we come to faith and we get baptized, we experience God filling us up with his Holy Spirit and changing our life and and transforming us. And for others, we may experience subsequent times of filling by the Holy Spirit, where we find ourselves emptied of ourselves, and we are filled yet again, immersed yet again with the work and power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we'll talk more about this in future weeks, but the reality is for all of us, every single day, we need fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. We need to empty ourselves of us and say, more of you, God. I need more of you in every single area of my life. I can't do this on my own. This should be our posture as followers of the way of Jesus. And we aren't doing this to chase the experience. We aren't doing this to just move from mountaintop experience to mountaintop experience where we go, man, I just, I felt it. I felt the hairs on the back of my neck. I felt tingly, like I experienced it, and we chase the next experience. And it's also not so that we can somehow posture ourselves as better than others. Well, I have experienced this. You have not. Clearly, I have more faith. It's also not so that we can feel like we're good enough. Like, God, if you did this in me, clearly you love me and I I feel unworthy. It's not to give us an identity. Instead, Jesus comes and the Holy Spirit moves in our life to offer us power and to fill our lives and to empower us to do what we can't do by ourselves. We need the power that the Holy Spirit offers to do what he's asking us to do. Now, Jesus is speaking about this gift of the Holy Spirit who would come and empower his people, and then we find the disciples responding in verse six, and it seems a bit like a non sequitur. Like, it doesn't quite make sense. You're like, how did we go from kingdom of God and the gift, and then you go into this? The, Disciples say this. When the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Now, again, it's important to remember that like all human beings, our tendency is to think me, us, my circumstance. And so in this, we see the apostles, they hear about the kingdom of God and this gift of the Holy Spirit, like, That's great. So are you going to help us right now to come out from under the Roman Empire? Like, are you going to come? Because remember, when when the Jewish people were hoping for a Messiah, they weren't thinking about Jesus. They were thinking about a political leader who would come and, and gather an army and overthrow a government. And so there's still glimpses of this in the apostles' response. They were hoping that Jesus now, okay, you've done your thing. You you died, you rose again. Now rescue us from these Romans. They were thinking now. They were thinking temporal, and Jesus is thinking about eternity. And he replied, the Father alone has authority to set those dates and times, 
and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, if we read Jesus through the Gospels, we'll find him doing this frequently. Someone asks him something, and he just diverts it. And they go, hey, what about this? And he goes, yeah. And then he talks about something completely different. And he sidesteps it. He gets to the real issue. And he hears the question that they're asking. And he's like, yeah, that's not it. And then redirects them to what is important. Rather than talking about, an, about overflowing a politi- overthrowing a political power, he instead goes right back to talking about the kingdom of God. John Stott says this about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is his rule set up in the lives of his people by the Holy Spirit. It is spread by witness, not by soldiers, through a gospel of peace, not a declaration of war, and by the work of the Spirit, not by force of arms, political intrigue, or revolutionary violence. The kingdom of God is something different. It is a counterculture to the world around us. And though we understand that the kingdom of God doesn't use political power or military power like we think, the kingdom of God still has radical implications, radical social and political implications for us. Because the reality of the kingdom is that there are kingdom priorities, kingdom values, the way that we live inside of the kingdom of God. And those values and priorities stand in direct contrast to the world that we see around us. And for those of us that would say, I have followed the way of Jesus, I've I've given my life, surrendered my life to Jesus, we become citizens of this kingdom. And citizens of the kingdom of God do not see their allegiance primarily to political parties or to ideologies, but instead to Jesus himself. At the very center of our identity is a first century rabbi that we've given our life to who's both God and human. And so our whole value system and priorities are aligned with his way of life. Jesus again reminds his apostles and he reminds us of the kingdom of God. And then he reminds them of the Holy Spirit and their mission. Jesus says, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. Power and witnesses. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, we're going to talk in future weeks about what that looks like. Because I recognize some of us, we hear the Holy Spirit and we're like, I'm okay with that as long as it doesn't get too weird. And others of us are like, bring it all on. And we're all on in different places. I want us to explore what did that look like in the early church. But it is important that you know that the Holy Spirit empowers us. He allows us to do things that we can't do on our own. And the Holy Spirit's primary thing is not in all the things that look and distract, but instead in empowering us to do what he's asking us to do. Sometimes it's power for miracles. Sometimes God uses his Holy Spirit through people to heal people, and it's miraculous and unbelievable. But other times, sometimes that power is given to us to face difficulty and even persecution. 
Right now, if you're to look at the global church, where it's thriving the most is in Iran and in China, where it is most difficult to follow Jesus. And the Holy Spirit empowers ordinary people to do extraordinary things in the name of Jesus. And so sometimes the powers look like miracles, and other times it looks like the miracles of standing firm even when it is incredibly difficult. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the power that he offers, the reminder that his power is, in fact, made perfect in our weakness. And for many of us, that's, that's, the, that's the, the part that we struggle with. The struggle is we go, I want power, and he goes, perfect, you must become weak. And you're like, I don't like that part. I'd like to just be strong. And he goes, yeah, but in your weakness, I'm strong. See, when you think about power, the only people that need power from the Holy Spirit are the ones that recognize their own weakness and powerlessness. Because if you come with pride going like, I'm good, I don't need it, the Holy Spirit goes, no problem. No problem, I'll let you do this on your own. But when you're ready, I, I've, I've listened to Rick Warren, a pastor in the States, and he talks about people not being quite broken enough and dealing with enough difficulty to come to the end of themselves to actually surrender to God. And I think that there are moments like that in our lives. And some of us, we go, I want power, and God goes, per, per, first, I need to actually get you to the end of yourself. And you're like, uh, can we miss that part? Can we avoid that part? But that's the meantime space that God does his best work to prepare us for what's next. We are given power as Christians through the Holy Spirit, but it has a purpose. It's not just for other Christians. It's not for us to do conferences where the Holy Spirit moves, we pat each other on the back and go, isn't this nice? It's for people outside of the church. Every time that we see miracles happening, it was always to testify that Jesus is, in fact, who he says that he is. This power is given to us to demonstrate to people that Jesus is who he, who he is. Power to be the church. And in verse 8 it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have become a witness. Jesus' invitation is to be a witness who tells him, tells people about him everywhere that they go. And Jesus does something really interesting as he's explaining this. He does it in concentric circles. He talks about starting here, starting in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria. Now, as soon as he said Samaria, it would have immediately brought the apostles' backs up a bit. Like, hey, we're good with Jerusalem, we're good with Judea. I don't feel great about Samaria. And if you're familiar with the Bible, you know of some of the stories that reference some of that. The reality is that the dynamic between Jewish people and Samaritans was not good. In fact, it was fair to say they hated each other. And Jesus in this is even painting a picture of what his kingdom looks like, what the church looks like. The church is meant to reach people that you care about and that you love. And then the church is sent to be witnesses for those that you consider to be your enemy and the people that are difficult to love. This vision that we have, again, is a counterculture. If we live in an environment like we do in 2023, we have a list of people that are against us or we see as enemies, and instead 
Jesus says, this good news is for you and it's for them too. And we die to ourselves every single time that we say, I'm willing to lay down my life so that other people might find his life, even those that I struggle to love. We are meant to be witnesses to the very ends of the earth. I want you for a moment to think about that language even of witness, because we use it in a certain way. Many of us, if we think about witnesses, we think about courtrooms. We think about procedural dramas on legal thrillers or whatever on TV, and we go, yeah, thinking about witnesses. It made me think about witnesses, because a number of years back, I was, I was a juror on, I did jury duty. Anyone done jury duty yet? Oh, man, Okay. I would say it was a wild experience that I would prefer not to repeat. Because I, I did jury, I was a juror for a stabbing in London. Got pretty intense. Uh, at one point, the guy that got stabbed, he survived, and he was describing being stabbed. There was a picture of the stab wound, and they were passing along a knife. And I don't get, I don't get like queasy, and I was like, I don't feel good. <laughs> I was like, this guy actually got stabbed. It was an intense week, a week-long uh, session. And, and you know intrinsically, though we may not know a ton about law, that in, in the courtroom, having a reliable witness is essential. Right? You want to have someone that you can rely on. So when the defense called up this one witness, their first witness, I was really curious. Okay, first witness. So I'm making some assumptions in my head. This person must be incredibly reliable. They must be a really great witness. And then the testimony began. So this stabbing happened in an environment, and the witness is sharing that the witness was both wearing noise-canceling headphones and was, I think if I remember correctly, hearing impaired, and also legally blind. And I'm not even making it up. I was sitting there. You know when you're in a moment that's supposed to be really tense and you're like, am I, is this, like there's a show called Jury Duty where it's all a joke and I was like, is this a hidden camera thing? Like this, this witness, legally blind, he couldn't hear anything and then started to talk. I was in this place, I saw this individual who talked to this other individual who talked to this other individual and it went on like that and the judge finally was like, uh, sir, what individual are we talking about? Because I can't track any of what you're saying. And you better believe that that witness was a pretty quick experience. That witness was up and they said, thank you so much for your time. Have a great, have a great day. Why? Because that, that witness wasn't reliable. And, and if it comes to something that is significant, we want the witnesses to be reliable. Now think about in the context of the early church and of Jesus. The witnesses that Jesus is sending must be reliable. They must know without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus, in fact, did rise from the dead. He is who he says that he was. Now, this adds color to why Jesus spent the 40 days with his apostles, showing them in many ways that he was truly alive. Because Jesus understood there can be no, no question mark There's no sense of concocting some sort of story. In fact, Jesus is alive. Now, it starts to help us to understand why the early church went from being, if we read certain parts of the end of Luke, we're like, man, these people are messed up. 
And then we find what they do in Acts, and we're like, they don't even seem, seem like the same people. And that is because they were completely convinced and transformed by the very resurrection of Jesus. The thing that they had seen, thinking this was the end, and realized this was only the beginning. It's the reminder for them and for us that the resurrection of Jesus is true and real. And it is the center of our faith. It's not some sort of hopeful thing or a dream that was kept alive by the apostles or something that they concocted in a group. This actually happened, and there were many people that witnessed it. Jesus actually conquered death. Jesus of Nazareth is truly the Son of God. And in that, we find this church that becomes reliable witnesses who witness to others, who witness to others, who witness to others. And here we are today where there are many faiths that have come and gone and yet Jesus and the way of Jesus had stood the test of time because his witnesses went and they shared with Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Jesus is commissioning them to tell Tell them about Jesus everywhere. He's saying, go and, and do this. Tell everyone, be my witness. This is their call, and this is still our call today, to be witnesses to people wherever we are of who Jesus actually is and the impact that he has had on our life. The reminder that salvation that we experience is given to be shared with the world. Now, for those of us that have followed the way of Jesus and experienced transformation, we experience new life in Jesus. And when we experience new life in Jesus, move from death to life, transformed, we want to share that with everyone. We're not content to just go, this is just for me and I'll just keep it to myself. Instead, we're thinking, who can I tell about this? When we have good news... When we have something that has transformed us, we can be giant evangelists when we get a new app on our phone. They're like, you got to try this. How much more for the Savior of the universe? That we should live like this matters in our life. And we should have this view of other people at the forefront. Leslie Newbigin says it like this. The church is the pilgrim people of God. It's on the move, hastening to the ends of the earth to beseech all people to be reconciled to God and hastening to the, the end of time to meet its Lord who will gather all into one. We are not just a church that is planted, but we are a church that continues to plant. We are a church on the move. And that's not just for collective church. That is the church. That is our history as the church continuing to move into places where it is difficult to be the church and representing a counter-cultural narrative. We are pilgrim people. We must become witnesses that carry this message of Jesus to the ends of the earth. We must be willing to do what we can to make the name of Jesus famous. Now, I want to just remind you, even for us as a church, that a collective is a group of individuals united around a common purpose. That's why we picked the name Collective Church. A group of individuals united around a common purpose. And for us, we exist to make it all about people seeing Jesus. And that's not accidental. We find that in the church. This was the mandate, the call given to the, the early church and given to us today. But in order for us to fulfill that, 
in order for us to do what he's asking us to do, we need power. Because if it's just on us, if it's just on me, we've got nothing. If it's what we can bring to the table, we bring our loaves and fishes and go, I don't know, I've got five, I've got two, okay. But Jesus takes that and he multiplies it and feeds thousands and thousands of people. This is kingdom of God math. We bring our little bit, our crumbs, and we say, outside of you, I've got nothing. He goes, perfect. Now I can work. There are hundreds of thousands of people around us that do not yet know Jesus, and God sends us to do something about it, to rescue his sons and his daughters, not by our power, but by his. And his invitation is for us not to become comfortable sitting and just thinking it's for us. His invitation is to get out of these walls and do what we can to partner with him as he rescues his kids. We are sent with power and a mission. We've got work to do, but we are not sent on our own to simply do it. It's so important for us that we understand that this will inevitably step on our toes. If you like being comfortable, following Jesus will not help you because it will make you uncomfortable because you will find yourself outside of yourself going, okay, I, I, I feel really clearly like I need to share with my neighbor about Jesus, or I feel like I need to ask this person if I can pray for them. Every single time you do that, if you talk to anyone that does that regularly, I don't know that you ever get to the point where you're like, I feel very comfortable approaching this person. Every single person is like, oh God, okay, you want me to go over and you want me to pray, I'm willing to do it, please help. It's like the short prayer, please help me. And yet you step out and you risk something and you have it. We had times where we prayed as we walked around the community giving invites and divine interruptions and divine appointments for people on the team praying for people that desperately needed it. That's the stuff. But in order to live like that, it means we have to live a life that is uncomfortable. It means that we actually have to come to the place where we're willing to risk something. Why? For the sake of others. Because if we just make it about us and we're like, you know what? I want this. I like this. My preference is this. It, very quickly, we just kind of sit back. And we live our lives and go, God, help me to see people like you do. Help me to reach people that you want to reach. Help me to just be part. I don't need to get all the fame or the glory. Just help me to be part of what you are doing. He'll say yes, and then he'll put us in positions where we need him. And we need his power. I want to remind you that we follow a long line of followers of the way of Jesus who have mobilized and catalyzed this church that changes the world. They were witnesses everywhere that they went. There was no environment. Like they were the people that they went, well, we're going to put them in jail. Perfect. Let's share Jesus. We're going to beat them with whips. Awesome. Let's talk about Jesus. Hey, we're going to persecute them, and they're going to scatter all over. Great, let's spread the message of Jesus. This is our lineage. And I think that we are invited to live our lives with just a, a, a bit more faith in that. To go, God, do what you want to do. Wherever you place me, I'll tell people about you. Whatever you want to do, I'm unwilling to make it just about me. Because the reminder for us, and we'll see it all through the early church, is that we have access to the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. Power that changes people's lives. And I've seen it. 
I've had conversations with people that you, you stumble your way through it, and yet the person goes, I want to give my life to Jesus. And you're like, okay. And you're reminded it's not me. It's not you. It's not our little bit that we have. It is God at work through us, but he waits for us to say yes because he wants to do things through our lives. He wants us to see what it looks like to actually partner with him to be witnesses to everybody. We are sent with power to be witnesses. This is the invitation for us. And I just want to challenge you. It's time to get to work. To not just settle in and get comfortable and go, isn't this nice? And we just kind of hang out with each other, but to go, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Help me to be, to experience what it looks like to actually be your hands and your feet. Help me to be the kind of Christian that actually impacts the areas that I'm in. God, through me, would you do something that only you can take credit for? We look at the early church and we say, God, do it again. Continue to reach people through your power as we, in, as we surrender to be your witnesses. Now, I know some of you might be listening to that, and you might be wondering, what does that even mean? What does it mean to be witnesses? What does it mean to do this? What, is, what are some handles? And I want to give you some specific ones. First, I want to invite you to pray. I want to invite you to pray and ask God for power. Because if we need power, we need to go to the one that offers that power. We need to say, God, I need you. Search me for whatever you have and found in my life that I need to get rid of and put away and instead empower me. Holy Spirit, give me power to, to share your truth with others. Give me courage to risk it. I'm convinced that if we started every single day with God, God, move in my life Give me power. Help me to see what you are up to. My yes is on the table every single day that God would open doors way more than we think. And it would stretch us and it would push us and it would be exactly the life that we're most desperately made for. We need power and so we need to pray for it. But we also need something tangible. As a church, we don't want to just say, so uh, get to it, although that is a piece. Because the reality is that you are in positions that we cannot be in. But let me just give you something tangible beyond that. Bring someone to Alpha. Now, as our strategy as a church, we have two things, co-groups and serving. We want everyone in co-groups where they're in smaller communities, and we want everyone serving where they're using their gifts. As part of co-group strategy, we have Alpha. And Alpha is designed for unchurched and de-churched people, people that have questions, people that are wondering, people that want to understand or maybe are hostile to faith. Because what can happen is you go, okay, I'm going to talk to people, tell them about Jesus, and then what do I do with them? You invite them to Alpha. Even better yet, you bring them to Alpha. You know the difference? Inviting is like, hey, you should come. Bringing is, I'll go with you. Now, Lee and I will be hosting it in the fall in our home. And so you can come into our home, and we eat a little bit, we spend time together, and we create an environment where it is acceptable to say things that we might not agree with. And it is okay to ask questions that maybe seem a little bit off kilter or maybe go like, I don't, are we allowed to? Yes. It's an environment where you actually can be unfiltered and work through some of this stuff. And through that, we have seen God do transformative work in Alpha in people that are unchurched and dechurched. And so my challenge for us is to pray for power 
and then to begin to bring and invite people to Alpha. To go, God, will you show me the people that I need to be witnesses to? And then will you give me the courage to invite them to join us at Alpha and watch what God might do? I'm telling you there is nothing quite like being on the front lines, having a front row seat to someone's life changing. When you watch someone move from this place of I don't know or I'm not sure to I'll give my life to Jesus, it is the greatest thing and it reminds you this is why we do what we do. And you know what it does? It causes us to go, I'll risk more, God. Because the more that we get this sense of God at work in us, the more that we're willing to go, it's not about me anymore. I'll do anything that I can so that other people could discover this life in Jesus. You could see the impact of someone discovering Jesus and experiencing life change. You could see the power of the Holy Spirit at work in someone's life, but I do not want to sugarcoat it. It requires risk. This life of power and witness that we see where we're empowered to be his witness is a life that requires us to risk something. And I'm not suggesting you risk everything and anything. I'm suggesting you ask God, God, what do you want me to risk? I'm suggesting your posture needs to be, God, I need your power. Would you work in me? Would you help me to say yes and give me courage in the midst of whatever I'm going through to actually be your hands and your feet to advance this kingdom of God and then watch what he does because we are not a church that is just here for us to gather together. We are a church that wants to scatter. We are a church that wants to multiply. We're a church that sees people around us and goes, we want to do something about it with other great churches And so I want to invite you to be praying, praying specifically for power and inviting and bringing to Alpha. And we'll have some information we'll put up very soon. I want to invite you to stand up for a moment. And before we worship, I'd like to pray for us. So I'd love to invite you just to close your eyes right now. You have access to power to be Jesus' witness. And the invitation is to say yes to the Holy Spirit and watch how he works. And so if you're in the room right now and you go, you know what, I I want to be used by God. I want God to do something through me. I need his power. Or I I need to break out of comfort. I want to just invite you with every single eye closed just to put up your hand. If you're like, I want power. I want power to do what he's asking me to do. I want to be witness and I don't even know what to do and I'm afraid. If you're afraid and yet and yet willing, just put up your hand and I want to pray for you. God, you see each of us. You see our heart postures. You see those in the room that are saying they want to, they want to do what you're asking them to do, but they need your Holy Spirit's power. God, I pray that you would fill them up, that you would fill them to overflowing, that others around them might experience Jesus through them. Holy Spirit, come. Move in power in our lives so that you can take credit for all of it. God, I pray in advance for the people that don't yet know Jesus that we, that you are inviting us to introduce to you and your son Jesus. God, help us to keep them at our forefront. Help us to be the kind of church that exists to make it all about your son Jesus with every single person that we have. Every single person that is in our sphere of influence. God, may we be witnesses that reach London, Ontario, Canada, and the whole world because we can't stop 
sharing everything that you've done in our life. God, thank you that you are at work in us. Thank you that your power is made perfect in weakness. God, we need you. We are weak and desperately in need of our Savior. We need power. We need the advocate. So God, help us. God, fill us up. Fill us again with your Holy Spirit. God, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.